In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the True Life Podcast. I hope the birds are singing. I hope you woke up with a smile on your face. I hope your partner woke up with a smile on their face. And you guys just had a great morning and the kids are happy and everybody's safe and getting ready to start their day. Or I hope you had a great day and you are preparing to go to bed or maybe have a cocktail or do whatever it is to settle the mind and get ready for the next day. I am excited today to talk to you about an idea that is near and dear to my heart. And if you have kids, I hope it's near and dear to your heart. In fact, I hope that my idea becomes lovers with your idea and they mingle together and they have little baby ideas. So what the hell are you talking about, George? It's a great question. I thought you'd never ask. Let me start off by saying this. We live in a world of uncertainty. This uncertainty leads to anger. Anger leads to fear. Fear leads to suffering. And suffering seems to be the leverage that is applied to the populace when people in power want to create sweeping changes. The conscious, intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and trust of the masses via the synthesis of money, science, and technology has been distilled down to one word. Any guesses? Anybody want to guess what that word is? Evolution. However, I believe evolution would be better defined as, or perhaps synonymous with, human suffering. You see, human suffering is the mother of all invention. It is the driving, guiding force that bestows on us the power to create. It is through suffering that man becomes like God, close to the womb from whence we came, through which we can be purified, tempered, and reborn. I believe that is what's happening in our world right now. I believe that for the last 200 years, we have been suffering. In fact, since the dawn of time, mankind has been suffering. And it's painful and it's difficult. And some of us suffer more than others. But every man thinks that his burden is the heaviest. Do you understand that? 
everyone suffers. You may not see their pain. You may not feel their pain, but I guarantee you they feel pain. That being said, that's what drives us. And I think that we are getting close to seeing less suffering in the world. And the way we get there, folks, the way we get there is by understanding and being able to see other people's pain inside them. And you're thinking to yourself, well, isn't that empathy, George? Yeah, kind of, kind of. It's a part of it. But I think it's all connected. I think that what you see in other people is what you know about yourself. Remember the old quote, know thyself? Why is that so important? Because if you know yourself, you can see your qualities in the other people around you. Have you ever seen somebody or known somebody that really bothers you? The fact is, they probably really bother you because they're reminding you of something you don't like about yourself. Or on the flip side, if you see something you, somebody you admire, well, that person is calling to your soul. It's sending a little shout out like, hey, that can be me. Hey, little small voice in there. Hey, that can be me. Hey, that is me. You see, it's this thing that you, that you want, that you struggle to be. It's the suffering manifesting itself in the form of creation. You are creating a better version of yourself through suffering. Think about the way that a silkworm spins its web and gets caught in it. Or a type of caterpillar builds a cocoon or a chrysalis or whatever type of word you want to use. That caterpillar doesn't understand what's happening. It's building its own little prison is one way to look at it. Another way to look at it would be to dig up the poems of, of um, who is that guy that wrote the, I want to say the, hmm. <laughs> That's right. Ovid. Wasn't it Ovid that, read Metam that wrote Metamorphosis? Remember that? Everybody remember Ovid Re wrote Metamorphosis? Anyways, think about the Metamorphosis. The caterpillar builds this chrysalis and then it goes into hiding. It goes into like this slumber, this dormant stage where if you just saw it, it looked like an old crusty leaf or something. However, what's going on inside there? That organism is changing. It's almost like being in the womb. The same way that a caterpillar goes into the chrysalis is the same way that a child is in the womb, developing, creating, becoming a new form. And in the same way, that's what's happening to mankind right now. We are in a metamorphosis. We are in a chrysalis. And you're beginning to see we as the butterfly are beginning to crack out of this thing. And I want you to think about all the parts of government, of business, of, of uh, all these institutions that have become corrupt. You understand it? Let's think about the words here. Let's think about the patterns in the words. The chrysalis, the, the form, the government, the business have, been, have become corrupt. And when something becomes corrupt, it becomes brittle. It's able to shatter. And that's the first place the new forms break out of. When the butterfly wants to break out of the chrysalis, it finds the part that is crusty. It finds the part that is easy to break through. It finds the part that has been corrupted. And that's what we as people Americans, Germans, uh, and when I say Americans, I mean South Americans and North Americans. You see, people forget that. People forget that people in South America are Americans, but we're all Americans, damn it. You know, everybody from Africa, from, from Europe, from Russia, from China, we 
are breaking through the corrupted shell that we have been metamorphosizing in. Is that even a word? We are breaking out of this shell as a new form. And so the weakest parts of our society, the weakest parts of our government, the weakest parts of our corporations are the most corrupted. And that's where we're going to break out first. Look at the governments around the world. They can no longer hold the bull in the pen. It's too much for them. They've been too corrupted. They've gotten too lazy. They've gotten too fat. They've gotten too dumb. The institutions themselves no longer work. Let's look at the banks. Let's look at the, the money changers. Let's look at the people that, that do all the finance. Like right now what you're seeing is an incredible fight between the Fed, the New York Fed, and the ECB for dominance. They can fight all they want. Both of them are going down. Right? It's, it's like this money system that we have had that has been used as leverage to punish working people, to keep them in servitude, to funnel all the money upstairs to a bunch of fat, old, ridiculous, silly people who claim divine right to rule over people. All these people are going down. They're going down. And probably, you know, it sucks to say, but they're all those who they influence as well. They're spreading old ideas that do not work and will not work. And they're going to get eaten alive by the people on the bottom unless they change their ways. Now let's talk about a little bit of opportunity. Where there's corruption, where the new form breaks through the chrysalis of corruption, that is the spot for opportunity. If you're in some place right now that can see the flood coming, right? When it, you know, it's... I think it was Johnny Cash who said five feet high and rising, right? How high is the water, mama? It's five feet high and rising. That's where the water is now. If you find yourself in the upper echelons and you can see the flood coming, you have a little bit of time. You need to change your entire business model, right? You, You need to not be going to the government and begging for money to steal from the workers to give to the to the top. I believe what you're going to see is a massive outbreak of creativity and freedom and the dissolution of these giant mega corporations. They're going to be broken up. There's, they're too top-heavy. And a lot of that top-heaviness is, is the same corruption that's, that got us here. There's way too many people at the very top and not enough people in the middle. And, and in some ways... People are harking back. If you look at Thomas Piketty's book called Capital, he talks about the natural stages of capital where there's really, really wealthy people and there's really, really poor people. Think feudalism. And once you start thinking feudalism, now I want you to think of digital feudalism because that's a type of model that there are some people that are wanting to go to. And since we're talking about a little bit of the philosophical angle with history, let's think about the allegory of the cave, right? How many of us have been watching shadows on the cave? How many? The majority of us. If you look at the internet right now and the struggle for dominance for eyeballs, what I mean by that is the struggle for dominance for your attention. Think of Fox. Think of CNN. Think of Sky News or or wherever you live. Think of the media. The media, each media channel is a shadow projected onto the cave. And they're desperately trying to force you to notice their interpretation of what's happening outside, even though they're just shadows. 
If you want to do this cool experiment, look through the window or the lens of your iPad or your phone or your television. Look through that little window for a while. And when you're done, shut that off and look through the window in your house. It's two different worlds. They're completely different worlds. One of them is this, this high-octane speculation of the seven deadly sins desperately trying to grasp your attention to pay. Hey, look at me. Hey, look at me. Look at me. And then you look out your window and there's a tree blowing in the wind, some kids playing, maybe some people going for a walk. Which world do you want to live in? Which world have we been living in? I truly believe that you could fundamentally change the world if we just cut the ties, if we, if we severed the cables for the internet, if we severed the cables for the television, I think the world would be a better place. Maybe not the internet. Like there's a lot, I mean, I think we need that to be connected. However, I think that if you were to find a way to just shut off people's television for two months or three months, and only have the internet. I think the world would be a better place. I think there's still a lot of people that get their information from these old, outdated models of reality. And that's changing. So let me shift gears here and talk about, remember I told you in the beginning about this idea that was near and dear to my heart? That's what I'm going to tell you about. I am on a mission right now, guys. Ladies, gentlemen, folks, people, I love you. Here's the mission. Are you ready for this? I want to start a program, a type of school, where a child graduates with a residual income. Think about it nowadays. What does a child graduate with? If I live in the United States, and it's common for a child to graduate 12th grade with a diploma. There are some schools now where you can graduate with an associate's degree. However, what does that do? You've been instructed for 12 years, and now you can go to college and Go another four years or another eight years, and you can get a lot of instruction. People don't need instruction. People need experience. How many people do you know that went to college, got a great education, and they came out, and they can't get a job because they don't have any experience? In my book, Terror Before the Sacred, which is a great book, by the way. Let me just go ahead and throw this out here right now. What a great book, Terror Before the Sacred, by America's favorite new artist, George Monty. And in that book, I get into some ideas about school. What I argue dovetails with the argument I'm making here, and that is explanation has run rampant through our education systems. What we need is experience. You see, much like water takes the path of least resistance, be it a teardrop, a storm drain, or a small trickle of water from an early spring glacier, it all takes the path of least resistance. And we as humans, because we're part of nature, we tend to take the path of least resistance as well. So when you look at education, it's much easier for someone who's a professional to stand up and tell children how to do something than it is for people, mainly parents or even educators, to take the time to show children how to do something. You see, the education system should have both. You should get explanation and then experience, or experience and then explanation. And it should start from the very earliest ages. 
It should start in kindergarten. It should start in first grade, second grade, third grade, all the way through. It should be a lesson should be experience and explanation tied together in matrimony till death do they part. That's the way for people to learn. It's the best way for people to learn. And so I believe if we begin this process that children can graduate high school with a residual income. And I'm going to share my idea with you because I would really love to get some feedback on it. I've been talking to a few people about it. I'm going to try and start a pilot program. And so allow me a moment to give you my idea. So here's what I have in mind. I believe that the world is changing rapidly and that in schools today, we have the technology, the ability to grant children access to the world of commerce. So let's say, for example, we take second graders and we begin teaching second graders how to manipulate the digital landscape, be it a podcast, be it artwork, or be it any kind of content they can create. Specifically for this example, we'll use artwork. So the kids go to their second grade class and once, maybe three times a week, they have an art program with an established artist. Let's say like Banksy, because Banksy is freaking awesome. Or Shepard Fairey, awesome. It doesn't have to be them, but for my example, I'm using them. It can be any of your local artists, because I bet you all your local artists are awesome. So the local artist comes in and he begins teaching the children about artwork. I call it a resident artist program. And they work with the artist. And at the end of a year, the artist and the kids have not only learned a lot about art, but they have created artwork together. And this is where it's kind of clutch to have an artist in the program that's somewhat established. Because at the end of the year, we as a school, the parents, the kids, the artists, the artist and the kids have created these different artworks. And now we're going to partner with a museum where these artworks can be auctioned off. And it works out well, in my opinion, at least I think it works. You tell me what you think. Let's say we have an established artist that's created art with the children of this class. And they have created individual artwork pieces and they have created collaboration pieces. And also there's a wing in the museum where the resident artist can sell his art. You see, I want this to be a win-win-win situation. So the artist would want to come to and do this program because he has access to a museum where he can sell his collection. The children get to do some work with an established artist with their names and his name on it so that the artist who's established is lending his credence, is lending his name to the children to allow them to enter the world of art. The museums win because they're going to get every parent of the children who was in this program. They're going to come into the museum and they're going to, let's say the museum can have an auction night for certain pieces. I guarantee you the parents are going to come there. The school is going to come there. The community is going to come there and see this program happen. They're going to auction off the work of the, of the artist who's established and the children who 
did the artwork with the artist. The museum's going to get a cut of that. The they can have like a like maybe they have a night dinner with the artist, right? And then you can bring in your your people who are appreciative of art and they can have a nice champagne dinner and talk to the artist about what he learned from working with the kids, what he hopes to do in the future, and he can talk about his collection that he did. So the artists win, the museums win, and the kids win. But here's where here's where the income comes in forever. Let's say there's also a section where we, we utilize the non-fungible token. So we create the artwork between the artist and the children that's a collaboration. We digitize that artwork, or maybe it's just done digitally in the beginning. But we take that artwork, we create a non-fungible token, with we mint it, and in that process we create a smart contract where we establish that the artist gets a little percentage, the student gets a percentage, and maybe the house, be it the school or the museum, gets a percentage. Now, my understanding is that these NFTs, once they've been minted and once the smart contract has been established, that piece of artwork will forever be sold with those rights that are written into the smart contract. So if we can create smart contracts and NFTs for an established artist collaborating with a child, every time that piece of work gets sold, it goes into the pocket of that child. It goes into the pocket of that artist. It goes into the pocket of that museum. But here's where I take it even a step further. You see, I think that these programs could become a business. Like the school, let's say this class of second graders that works with this artist, they could establish an LLC. They could establish a business where they create this business model for this particular line of artwork. And it doesn't stop in second grade. These people have this business throughout their life. You know, they become partners in this business and they have a little side business where they can create whatever product, be it, an, be it glassware or artwork or book covers or journals or comic books, you know, whatever it is. Here's a class of second graders that established a product at the age of eight and they continue to work on it once a month with this particular artist that partnered with them. And these people could get paid for life. Do you understand? There's no reason why our children cannot begin building businesses at the age of eight. They are going to learn how to live in the real world at the youngest age possible. Can you imagine what would happen if we can bring the world of creativity to the world of commerce in the world of education? If we can create the synthesis of commerce, philosophy, art, and education. That's the world we want to live in, folks. That's the world that we need to be teaching. That's the kind of school that our kids need to be going to. I'm not a po like listen, I think we should be learning literature. I think we should be learning math. We should be learning all these different subjects, but there's no reason why we can't learn this as well. What are we teaching now? Like with the way the world is changing, how rapidly the world is changing. A lot of the things we're teaching are obsolete. And I realize that when it comes to teaching the future, that a lot of people who are on school boards and maybe give a lot of money don't want to see change. 
They're afraid of change. Oh, it's not going to work. Oh, we've used this model for years. Let's just keep doing the same old thing. Listen, folks, folks at the top, if you keep doing the same thing, you're going to get the same result. And I think that that's part of what we're seeing. There's a lot of intelligent, creative people down in the ground just ground and pounding right now. Like, look, let's change the model. The model sucks. It doesn't work. However, the model was pretty awesome. If you're making millions of dollars and you're siphoning money from everybody on the bottom, that model's great for you. But the problem with that aspect is the people that don't want to change, I got news for you. There's two ways people change. One is through inspiration and one is through desperation. If you're one of these people that sit at the very top of the establishment and you own the property and you are just siphoning money from the, from the tuition and stuff like this, your days are numbered. You're going you're gonna to take everybody down with you because you're greedy and you're selfish and you don't want change. Change is coming. We should be at the forefront of change. We need to be educating our children in how to run the world. Not in your favorite book from 60 years ago. Not in, not, it's, it's changing, it's done, it's over. And if we don't start changing education, because education is one of the most corrupted parts of the chrysalis. It's going to be broken. It's going to be destroyed. We must break out now. We must be the butterfly that breaks out of the chrysalis in the weakest spots. That's where the opportunity is. The opportunity is in education. The opportunity is in changing the model of education. It's happening all around us. And it seems to me that the new format for education is distance learning. Hey, I got news for you. Distance learning sucks, okay? Kids don't want to do it. Some teachers want to do it because they can stay home. But distance learning sucks. It sucks for all kids. It's a horrible, stupid model. It didn't work. Those of you pushing distance learning should be ashamed of yourselves. It doesn't work. It's not going to work. Kids are going to be dumber because of it. You understand? It's dumb. It's not working. Kids hate it. Let it go. This model I'm talking about is vastly superior. Vastly superior. But there's another... There's, let me tell you this other part of it. I believe that... Schools should require mandatory participation from parents. Must be, no questions. You don't participate, your kid can't go to this school. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how influential you are. If you're not participating, if you're not bringing ideas to the table of the school, can't go here. Sorry. See you later. You don't deserve to go here. Let me, let me, let me paint you a picture. Let me go ahead and just explain this idea of how I think a school could be. Imagine this, you have to take a test to go to certain schools. And in that test, you have to explain to the people, to the admissions council, why you're valuable. Hey, what ideas are you bringing to the table? And let's say a school tuition is like 30 grand or 40 grand or 20 grand or 10 grand, whatever, it doesn't matter. Whatever the school tuition is, then you as a parent should have an option. Okay, you can pay the tuition or you can provide the same amount of value for that tuition. You know what I mean by that? I think that the public school system should be gone and they should all be privatized. And in the model I'm looking at, I think that there should be a strict admission policy. What kind of value can you bring to this school? Why should you go here? You should have to explain that. And you should have to be able to back it up. You see, in my opinion, that does away 
with the whole idea of it changes the model. It brings us to a model where, like there's so many talented people that don't have tons of money but are skilled artists, are skilled builders, are skilled orators, or are skilled in nature, are skilled in farming. And those skills are just as important as the paper that we print. They're probably more important. And those are the skills that children need to learn. Right? Like, let's take an example of, I know this is kind of a hot topic, but let's take an example of like the Joe Rogan podcast versus traditional media. That's like, that's like two guys, man. It's Joe and Jamie scheduling, producing, and they're getting 10 million views an episode where you look at something like, oh, I don't know, like CNN or Fox, and they have this gargantuan bloated team of people making millions and they get like one eighth the audience. You see, we don't need this bloated system. We need to pare it back. So my hallucination is at school, I think that all parents once a year, I think the school should have like a festival once a year. And in that festival, each family is responsible for putting up a stage and, and showing off or showcasing an ability that is valuable, not only to the school, but to the community. Now, it doesn't matter. Families can partner together. The school could partner with different families or, you know, eighth graders can partner with second graders. That part is all open. Like that should be part of the creative process. Hey, who are you going to work with this year? Hey, what project are you going to do this year? So let's say, for example, like think of a almost like a type of Burning Man festival, not as crazy with all like the lewd and, and, and drugs and stuff like that, but stages set up everywhere, stations set up everywhere. And think about families working together to showcase abilities, new ideas, and on top of that, skills that they have learned and they are teaching. So you have all these stages set up over a three-day festival, and then you invite the public to come in. Here's what we're doing at our school. Come over here to stage four where we're going to show you a new way to do agriculture. Come over here to stage five where they're going to put on a production that is the marriage of Moby Dick meets Hamlet. Come over to this stage over here where we're going to introduce you to a new instrument that has fused together garage band with live cello music. And it's these types of real-world showcase festival experiences that are going to attract more people to come to your school, right? This is the new type of education that should be made possible in the future. This is what a future school should be like. But it gets even better, ladies and gentlemen. I am on fire today, so get ready for this. Think about some of the things that could be created in these programs. Let's say that the community comes into this festival and they go to stage four and they see this new synthesis of, of farming where it's this, you know, somehow they have figured out a way to use mushrooms because they grow fast to create new glassware or they have found a way to synthesize a new type of music. Well, these ideas can be rolled over into a business, right? And because everybody there is participating together, maybe the people at stage four partner with the school to create a business to create that product that they just showcase to everybody. Then we're back to the NFTs. You know, maybe we can create a business where the kids in that class, like the fifth graders that partner with third graders and the parents, 
Now they own a business because the school helped birth that business. They go into business together and now they have an income for life. So at this school, we've created a partnership where the children, the school, and the community all benefit. The kids are going to graduate with a business, going to have income for life. Imagine if your kid could have income for life at the age of seven and they could continue to build on that success. Not only do they have the idea and the income that they have created out of this business that they learned at this school, but now they have the real world of, ex of experience on how to build another business. Now they can be like these new age troubadours that go and are, are sent throughout the world to spread these ideas. You know, much like, much like the people of the sea in Velikovsky's books who showed up with seeds to plant in the ground to teach people how to create crops for themselves. Our kids who learn these skills could be like a new people of the sea that show up with their bags of ideas to create world businesses and knowledge and ideas. Like that's the model of school we should be having. That's something that creates, but not only creates, but participates in the future of. Not only does it, this particular model is like a ritual because it not only points to, but it participates in the future for everyone. It benefits mankind. In fact, I would argue that this is the, one of the final stages we need to do to evolve. We must find a way to synthesize government, working people, and, and economics. And this is the way to do it. This synthesizes all of it. This is a self-governing system that allows for people to share their ideas without any gatekeepers. That's exactly what we need, ladies and gentlemen. I'm excited about it, and I've been pushing this idea, and I'm going to continue to push it. I think it's beautiful. And you know what else I think is beautiful? I think you're beautiful. I think that right now, if you have intention, if you have an idea, there's no better time in the world to do it. This is what freedom looks like, people. This is what freedom looks like. And this is what people on the top are afraid of. Oh, you know what the pandemic is? There's a pandemic of creativity exploding across the planet right now. And the people who hold power realize that their ideas are dumb. And they're losing. And they will lose. And I got to be honest with you people. If we do not take the opportunity to break through the corrupted chrysalis, then we too will become victims. We will become the detritus that gets eaten by the new form. Let's be the form that breaks the chrysalis instead of the detritus that gets eaten by the form. We are the new form. I think it was Henry Ford who said, whether you believe you can or whether you believe you can't, either way you're right. And you people are beautiful. I love you. My new book is called Terror Before the Sacred, and it gets into a lot of these ideas. You could buy it from Amazon, pre-order right now. The whole book, the, the paperback, the hard copy, and the Kindle version will be available 2-22-22 for $7.77. I love you guys. Terror Before the Sacred, my new book, George Monty. Check it out. Additionally, I've got some great guests coming up. I want to say thank you to Zach. Zach, you've been amazing, my friend. You know who you are. Also, I've got Dr. Bart Wilson coming on the show. This guy, I, I can't even begin to explain to you the genius of this man. He's, he's a lawyer. He's a philosopher. He's a, a doctor in so many ways. You guys are going to love it. And read his new book, The Property Species. 
it goes into depth about the new economic models that we can use to change the world forever. On top of that, I got another guest coming on, the one, the only, Mr. Simon Critchley. I know you know who this guy is, probably one of the world's greatest philosophers. He's so deep, and you know what I love about him? He's one of us. He's one of us, ladies and gentlemen. I, I admire all his work. He's got a new book called Bald, and it's 35 philosophical shortcuts, and it's a series of essays. If you read them, I think you become a better person. I'm just telling you, you can call me crazy. Call me whatever you want. Just don't call me late for dinner. How about that? What I like about Simon, I mean, there's a lot. However, I think if you read his work and you, sometimes you got to read, I don't know, sometimes I have to read it two or three times to really try to figure out what I'm getting from it. But once you do that, once you begin to establish a way to read it, I think you can use his work as a lens to see the world through. And I think if you can see through that lens, that you can see a world that is different than the way you normally see it. And I think that's true with a lot of great people's writings. In fact, I hope it's true with my writing. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do for you guys because I love you. My book, Terror Before the Sacred, if you, if you email me, that's georgepmonty at gmail.com, G-E-O-R-G-E-P-M-O-N-T-Y at gmail.com. If you email me and you can show me, hey, George, I've shared your podcast. I have uh, told my friends about your book. If you can just show, somehow show me that you've shared this podcast or you've bought or you've, you have shared the link, shared my link tree or shared the link to Terror Before the Sacred on Amazon, if you could show me you've done that to five people, then I will send you a copy of my book, Terror Before the Sacred, and I'll put in a 10 strip of the blotter paper, the original Eat Me blotter paper from the 60s. You can use it as a bookmark. Of course, there's no LSD on there because I can't be sending LSD to the mail. What do you think? I'm crazy. Okay, I might be a little crazy, but I'm not going to send that through the mail. I don't care what you tell me. I'm not going to do it. But there will be a 10 strip in there that you can use as a bookmark, and it matches the cover. So take up my challenge. I'll send you a free book. You just got to show me that you've shared the podcast, you've shared the link tree, or you've, you've gotten the name out there somehow. I love you guys, and I'm super excited to be here. I'm super excited for the guests that are coming up, and we're just getting this thing started, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the True Life family. I hope you have a great day. Let me know what you think about these schools that I'm talking about because I think it's a great idea. I love you. Aloha. Let's get up and get out.
Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.